The following audio is via a Skype call. Harry, I have no idea where this will lead us, but I have a definite feeling it will be a place both wonderful and strange. GIF, it's Manson Mitchell with Gary Manson, Suzanne Mitchell. A double shot of good conversation with great guests to jumpstart your weekend. Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. Thank you, Eric Kramer. Hi, everybody. TGIF, it's Gary Mance here. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. Together, Manson Mitchell, in your ears for the hour. Of course, we are ably assisted, as always, by bad boy Benny Mathers at the board. Benny, how are you, sir? Doing very well. High five. Good job. I knew you had my back. He high fives himself. I like that. Now, that is a mark of self-esteem. <laughs> yeah, I got to get it done somehow. <laughs> well, I always give you a virtual high five, but I like the sound effects. Yes. That was real, oh. too, by the way. I didn't make that one up. Yes, I know. <laughs> We're looking forward today to some metaphysical Q&A, relaxed frame of mind, open to life's possibilities, especially the positive ones. We're going to have somebody on. I think he's been, I know he's been on once, but once. so February this is, 23. This is his second time. We liked him a lot back in February. We right. said, we have got to bring this man back. Round two with Rich. Round two with Rich, yes. We're looking forward to it. The essence of today's hour is what do you do when you want to use the cosmic laws, the laws of the universe, which are they're not breakable. They are unbreakable. We can break ourselves trying to get around them or misuse them. That much is true there. But the laws themselves are unbreakable. And yet people spend their lives wondering, what can I depend on? Whom can I depend on? How do I get through this life more successfully? We hope to come up with some reliable answers today. I like that. Rich Spitzer had a long career in communications and behavioral research. After retirement, Rich discovered metaphysics concepts, including the law of attraction, manifestation, and synchronicity. Rich applied his research expertise to find practical modern methods to successfully manifest thoughts and ideas to achieve personal goals. His book, The Manifestation Formula, is based on merging the metaphysics wisdom over the centuries with modern research and scientific disciplines. We will be sure to give out his website before the end of the hour and how to get the book. But welcome for the second time to Manson Mitchell, Rich Spitzer. How are you doing hey. there? Are you staying dry in Illinois? As of this minute, we are staying dry. All right. I, I saw a lot ago, of rain. We, three hours ago, we had flash floods. So. <laughs> wow. We were watching it on the Weather Channel saying, holy smoke, what are they doing there in <laughs> Illinois? Drowning in, in rain. Yeah, well, well, I'd rather have too much water than that. Not enough these days. I'll t it's one or the other. We see so many weather extremes, that's for sure. So while you're still dry and able to talk on air without electrocuting yourself, we'd love <laughs> to get into this, this manifestation math idea and all of those byways of metaphysics that stem from it, these these little spurs of thought. When we do metaphysical Q&A, Rich, we like to talk about the implications of taking the metaphysical view of life. And that's kind of a challenge for us today in one way, because you are a scientific thinker. You think with numbers in your head, formulas. You're a math guy. 
And people, generally speaking, certainly those of my acquaintance there who take the metaphysical view of life, tend to be dreamy. They're very creative, not necessarily very mathematical. So what we're, just to set the table here, what is your relationship as a man with a scientific, very pronouncedly powerful left side of your brain? What are you to do with all of these concepts involving metaphysics and manifestation? Well, it's a good question, and actually, I'm trying to answer, certainly for myself, but for everybody who wants to listen, the original question of metaphysics that goes back uh, to Aristotle. You know, if you if you Google metaphysics, you know, there's lots of uh, learned articles and websites, but you know, way back when, you know, the, the original question was, what's the nature of reality? Uh, I think someone said that metaphysics was that was concerned with the first origins of everything. What's the meaning of everything? And I remember seeing one website said, but there's no agreement on what metaphysics is. But what I find fascinating is uh, that, and I know you're interested and you've talked about it too, is that a lot of the original concepts really were based on observation. You know, it's in our DNA to wonder about what goes on, where we came from, why things are the way they are, how they work. And metaphysics was just a word given to this nature of, of wondering. Uh, but someone else said it's, it's, it's all about the philosophy of things we can't prove with science. So I got interested in this ages ago by reading you know, the philosophers, the existentialists. I didn't know it was metaphysics because that word itself used to scare me. I thought metaphysics was woo-woo, because that's what we were taught in school. You know, you had to have something tangible and physical. But after you know, many years, I realized people have been thinking about this for a long time. So we fast forward to your things about math. Uh, everything we know in the world today, we're talking today because someone found a formula for electromagnetism that allows us to have you know radio waves and we communicate. Uh, so everything's been expressed mathematically. That's just the nature of the universe. Uh, so how do you blend the two has been a, a quest, but it's really only taken hold in the last, what, 20 years, where more and more of the historical metaphysical principles have been supported by uh, science. And probably the most fascinating one is, to oversimplify, there is, there is no such thing as nothing in the universe. Everything is connected to everything at some, you know, irreducible level of energy. And if that's the case, are we part of this, you know, vast uh, contiguous energy field? Are we separated? Can we interact with it? Can we manage it? So, you know, if you want to bring people in, we have to find a way to explain it somewhat scientifically. But it still comes back to we see it around us every day. Manifestation occurs but we don't give ourselves credit for when we see it because basically we have not been taught anything about it. Uh, it's been neglected for a couple hundred years. You know, Rich, we were having, Gary and I were having conversation with a couple of friends last night in a restaurant, and we were discussing the some of these ideas. Metaphysics is um, pretty simply beyond the physical. 
it is it is bigger than the physical bigger than the five senses and when we were we were discussing um, metaphysics and religion and it seems as though um, like where we are headed as a species is uh, when you were talking about this matrix that we all all share that this this one consciousness to which we are all thinking into is something an intelligence of the universe that is both outside of us and inside of us and because we're in it we're in this soup and this soup is in us we have access to everything and and so as our conversation was going um, you know, what does that mean if you actually have access to all the knowledge of the universe? You know, how do you get to it? And I like this conversation about manifestation because it's not just magic. There is actually a way to perceive the world, a way to be in the world where you can actually co-create and bring about the things that you want to have in your life. And that's what fascinated Gary and I so much about your book, The Manifestation Formula, is that you actually did the research enough to figure out how you have to think about something in order to bring it about. So if we're looking at the law of attraction or manifestation, what did you discover in all of your research about how people need to think about something? Well, okay, two-part answer. One is the more philosophical. Humans, it seems to be in our DNA that we have an infinite capacity to wonder about things. We have an infinite capacity to make up explanations and answers about things we don't know about. But we seem to have a very limited ability to actually believe something that's happening in front of us. Uh, so, and you know, as a, as a researcher, uh, you know, you know, in a laboratory, but you know, in researching you know, at the macro level of how information influences people, uh, their expectations, their behaviors, and what I did with the book is really two things. One is, uh, is there any mathematical concept or expression that would explain what I was observing, which is I've worked with thousands of people over the years, worked in large companies and small companies. Some people rise to the top quickly. Some people never do. But everybody has wants. So to take all these years, as I explained to some people, you know, a lot of people in my profession used to execute jobs. And I would say, well, I actually paid attention to what I was doing, to looking what I called, you know, patterns of success, patterns of information success. What kinds of information, concepts, context actually had a desired outcome? Now, they weren't always good programs. I mean, some of it's just, you know, basic advertising, and that's not very high level, but it's still how we interact with the human mind and information. So... So the first thing is, is there a mathematical expression that would explain why most people get a lot of things they want, a few people get everything they seem to want, at least according to our, our observations. Some people get 
practically nothing. And when I looked at it into the categories, I went back, you know, aside from reading the literature, keeping track of people, um, and it seemed to, in my mind, create that familiar bell-shaped curve. Most of us get a lot of things that we want, uh, but then the things that always struck me were the interviews with celebrities, uh, stars, and, and how many of people said, someone always told me, you can get whatever you want. Be positive, be persistent. There was a, a consistent theme of positive thinking. I think Willie Nelson said, um, replace negative thoughts with positive thoughts and you'll have positive outcomes. That's as simple as it gets. Um, so... I was, you know, brought up uh, at a time, you know, shortly after, uh, let's see, there was W. Clement Stone in Chicago. He had the power of positive thinking. There was, uh, you know, many people who've written books about that. But I never paid much attention because it was, it was popularized. But as I realized, uh, the people I observed, they did exhibit these traits. They had some levels of positive thinking attached to their goals. Not about everything. You know, we're not saying that. If you can manifest a new house or a new job or a new relationship, that you can manifest anything you want, you know, it seems to be you know focused because it takes energy, it's the vibration levels. And by looking at the people, almost like you know, if I did a, a tally, well, here's 100 people I knew. What was Bill like? What was John like? What was uh, you know Jill like? And it kind of began to look like a bell-shaped curve. Well, Bill was super high achiever, chairman of the company, and he was always totally positive and got everything he wanted. Somebody else never seemed to do. And, you know, not being a psychologist, but we all are amateur ones, it seemed to fall out that these people are always negative, these people are always positive, and most of us do what's necessary to get along. And that bell-shaped curve is right there in the statistical probability of you know, it's in the book that uh, you talk about standard deviations and margin of error that, you know, 68% is the magic number. Most things occur right around the average. And if we can achieve that average, that's all that we need to succeed. Because you can't be positive 100% of the time. And that's where I first failed. Because I thought I had to be, uh, you know, positive, as most books said. You need to be positive, you need to be focused, you need to be targeted, One, you know, most of the time. But no one ever told me what most of the time was. They observed that successful people were attached to their goals positively, persistently, most of the time. But no one ever defined most of the time. That's what I set out to do. Was it an impossible task? I knew I couldn't be 100%. That's just not my nature. And then I was worried if I have three negative thoughts about my ambition, I'm not starting all over. But I was relieved to find out, no, it's just like everything else in life. You know, it's something called reversion to the mean, where no matter what happens in the stock market or weather patterns, eventually things average out. And uh, that's true for most uh, things in the universe. And I applied it to these thought patterns because that's the way we think. So I looked at how do people actually think about their goals? How do they express them? And is there any, it's a arithmetic pattern to what they do? And yes, there was, at least the way I looked at it. You know, it's, it's interesting to pay attention to your own thoughts because we, we're thinking constantly and we don't 
stop to look at what it is that we're thinking about. And that 68% number that you came up with, the, the words that I think of it are the tipping point. There is a mm-hmm. tipping point that happens so that if, if you have a particular goal in mind, you could be having uh, an equal number of negative and positive thoughts going on, kind of like a, a seesaw, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and you're at, at like 50-50. And if you, if you take that same idea and just give it a little bit of oomph, you know, a little bit of vitamin, and, and say, uh, you know, look at your, your negative thoughts and say, you know, why am I thinking I can't have that? I should be able to have that. And think about having the thing that you want moving from a, a place that's like a 50-50 and getting to 68% doesn't seem like it should take a long time if you're working at it. But then, you know, it's like the last straw on the camel. All of a sudden you get to that tipping point and voila, the thing appears that you were talking about. I also like the fact that you say we, we, are, we are manifesting all the time, but we're not recognizing that we manifest all the time. And if we thought of ourselves as co-creators or thought of ourselves as expert manifestors, don't you think we would start putting our attention where we want it to be instead of letting our monkey minds just roam free in the negativity? Okay, you're giving me a lot of material here. Okay. <laughs> so let's go back to the thoughts. You know, and you've probably seen some of the research where they say people have anywhere from 16 to 80,000 thoughts a day, and that 80% of them or more are the same thoughts we had yesterday. And 90% of the thoughts are usually negative. So we are in this repeat cycle of constantly uh, thinking our thoughts to ourselves. So that is certainly one issue, where we are in this cycle of thinking too much, and too much of our thinking is uh, maybe negative. Um, the, other, the other aspect is a lot of people I've, I've talked to and observed and this really bothered me, that they manifested uh, things. Well, let's talk about manifestation in the context we are, which is I want to manifest something. I think the, the practical interpretation is we do manifest everything every day. I had a check-in on an airline today. We're going out of town tomorrow. And, okay, they're going to give me my seat assignment because I bought basic economy this time. Oh. I don't want to be in the back of the plane. You know, I really want to be at least in the middle of the plane. I really, really wanted that. And I checked in, and they gave me a seat in the middle of the plane. Do I think I successfully managed to test that? It seems too trivial, but I really, really wanted it. And yet I knew if I didn't get it, it didn't really matter. I'm still going to leave and get there at the same time. So uh, we do manifest things. You must have friends who say, I always find the parking spot. I'm one of those people who can, who can do that. I think you, you, you've talked about uh, your, your friend Susan Messino. Uh, yes. Yeah. And I talked to her a few months ago. I did an interview with her, and she said she's one of the people who, everybody says, Susan, you can always manifest the parking spot. 
anxious because I'm never worried. I always know I'm going to find one. And I'm always worried. But she said she's not, and she finds one. But the other issue is, uh, I said, that bothered me a lot. Uh, some of the people I worked with who were super successful, it bothered me that they never read these books that I know of. They didn't have any particular spiritual approach or metaphysical approach. But they seem to come to this kind of naturally, at least compared to me. And what I realized is uh, a lot of what we want to manifest and that we are frustrated by, that you were saying, you go back and forth in our mind, is that we do manifest things every day. But all this whole category, this whole genre is really focused on, I want to manifest something that I think is out of reach something that's beyond my skill or my worth. So we do manifest ah, things, but yeah. we want something more and beyond than what we have. Now, you might call that en- manifestation envy. Uh, but what struck me is that I met somebody in our, we moved into a condo you know, last year. I met the new, he's a new tenant, but I've known him for a long time. And every sentence he has focuses on money. You know, how well his business is doing, how much his breakfast costs. He's not worried about deposit. You know, in many ways, he's not a very pleasant person. But he is so totally focused on he knows he can make money. Money is his friend. And some people have written books about like that. Make money your friend. I don't think about that. I think money is somebody I've been chasing for a long time, you know. You know, often successfully, but not always. But, uh... Eddie never uh, read a book about this, but his focus, his vibrations, uh, he sees manifesting money as his right. And I find that it's more of a, uh, a privilege. So, uh, so I, my idea of manifestation is usually, and the people I fuck with, is something that I see kind of just beyond my reach. And as you said, if, what's that tipping point? It'll get me over, over the line. And that's why I looked at is there a formula for this? Uh, you know, I'm not a very well-organized person in many ways, but if I have a formula and I can follow it, like how to make a cake or how to refinish a door, it seems to work. But here was the, the kicker. You know, I say, okay, it's 68%. You know, and my goal was, if I can keep track of my thoughts about a goal, yeah, keep positive, consistent, you know, two out of three times, I should reach my goal. But there are other theories that come into play, and the most important to me was equal thoughts uh, can sway the balance. And by that I mean is, and this has been you know, established through lots of psychological research, that a positive thought and a negative thought don't have the same weight on your psyche. Uh, a positive thought is good, a negative thought can be devastating. And so what I built into the formula was, if you're having negative thoughts, um, they will more than counter your positive thoughts. So you really have to elevate those positive thoughts uh, above a certain point, again, to use your term, the tipping point, in order to have some cushion because you can't keep it up. So, I, you know, I created a workbook where you can keep track of your thoughts on a daily or weekly or monthly basis. There's different categories of how you're thinking about it, like with my airline seat. I know I've got that seat, no problem, To, I'm never going to get the seat I wanted, and then different points in between. Uh, so how do you balance your positive and negative? 
Well, A, you have to know what you're doing, so that's why I created the worksheet. And two, recognize that uh, your negative thoughts have a lot of impact on your emotional ability. So you have to be aware of it in order to manage it. And it's worked for me. And how do I know that? Well, two years ago I decided I'm going to start writing, and now I've written three books in two years. You know, I forgot to, in my manifestation plan, plan, I forgot to put in, I want them all to be bestsellers. I just was worried about writing them. So, uh, you know, you have to, you can't control everything the universe is going to deliver to you. No, but I think you can recognize what it is sending in relation to your own thought patterns, Rich. And that's why I so appreciate your full explanation of the principles involved. Yes, we are involved in some metaphysical Q&A. Before we go to break, I wanted to tell you a story. You just jogged this out of my memory bank. I went to, I made four trips to Hawaii, four years in a row back in the early 90s to Hawaii. On one of them, I went for cheap, Rich, I have to confess. I decided if I was going to get a rental car, I really didn't want to spend a lot of money. I got a hotel that was okay, nothing great, served the purpose, and I got it for a good rate. I, when I went to eat, I'd have breakfast at McDonald's, save my main meal of the day for a nicer restaurant, save money on that. And I decided that, that I would just go for one of those subcompact cars. It's enough for getting around the island. You know, we weren't going to fly to Maui or any place else. We were staying on Oahu, so I would just make use of that. And then when our plane landed, this was in a, a, a galaxy far, far away. I was in a different relationship. I remember landing at Honolulu International Airport, and I went to get the rental car, my little, you know, cheap putt-putt, and it wasn't there. Somebody had it. It was due to be checked in a half hour ago. wasn't there. Half hour turned into an hour. Car still isn't there. And so I sat down, and this is outside, so I'm enjoying the sun and starting to sweat a little bit, and I have my ball cap on, so I'm just, you know, being patient. And then I started to think. And I, I teased myself with this question. What would I do if the lady over there running this rental car show were to say to me, I'm sorry, Mr. Mance, the car we have reserved for you has not been returned yet. I don't want to keep you waiting. Can we upgrade you to a free convertible during this time? It's not that the car would be free. The upgrade would be free. A free upgrade to a convertible this afternoon. And she's over there just... Uh, playing with her paperwork and looking at her watch and the car is not coming back, the one that we originally reserved. And so I just entertained that thought and I asked myself, what would I say if she said that to me? I would say yes. And then privately I would give thanks to spirit, to the universe for making this possible. That's what I would do. Yes, that sounds good to me. I would do that. So I'm in agreement in principle with the universe as to a hypothetical. About five minutes later, the car that I ordered still hasn't shown up. And the lady called me over to her kiosk there, and she said, I'm sorry about this delay, Mr. Mance. We don't know when this car is going to be returned. May we give you a free upgrade to a convertible today? <laughs> and I said, yes, you may. I would be very grateful. Thank you for that. I appreciate you for that. And they gave me the Mustang convertible, and I was touring Oahu in style for a week. It was great at no extra expense. And... Yes, I did give thanks to God, to spirit, 
there while my girlfriend at the time was wondering how something like this was even possible. And I explained it to her and she looked dubious. And I go, well, you just got to believe, you know, because I was I was entertaining that thought. And then I accepted the thought. And once I did that in religious science circles, they refer to that as the mental equivalent there. And once I achieved that 68 percent or better equivalency, then the universe, almost by a law of compulsion, made this thing happen in my objective life. And I experienced the joy of that. It was convenient. It was just fun as hell to drive. And I got the chance to be grateful for something that a lot of people would look at and consider miraculous. Yeah. So at that time, did you were you aware of manifestation, or did you say, boy, what a lucky coincidence, or you really connected with the universe? The latter. I did not consider it a coincidence because I'd had too many of those, too many synchronicities come about. I said, there's something undergirding all this. There's an underlying principle that I don't uh, haven't explored it sufficiently, and I don't claim to understand it, but I've experienced enough of these results that something is going on here, and I need to know that I can tap into it during times of need, or how about strategically when I think about my future and where I would like to be? What direction do I want to head in anyway? And so, yes, there was some sense that there is something bigger than me involved here, and yet I had access to it. You know, there must be something going on, because I had a rental car experience just a few weeks ago, similar to yours. <laughs> that uh, we, we were in Italy, and we checked in, and uh, I had booked a small car because it was half the price of a big car. <laughs> and uh, when we got there, this was in, we landed in Florence, and then we were driving somewhere else. We go to the counter at uh, Auto Europe, and uh, your the car you wanted, the little tiny car, it was a tiny, tiny, but uh, it's, it's not available. But, you know, that's what I picked out on the website. Well... We're going to give you a red Jeep instead. Said absolutely not. And you know, I'm not driving around in a big red Jeep. You know, in back of my mind, it's like I have to have something comfortable and safe. And she said almost like what you just said, Gary. Well, how about a free upgrade to a, an Audi A5 Super Turbo? It's like, and I clarified the price. Like, no, yeah, yeah, your car's not here, so. And just like you, I drove around in a luxury car that I would never have paid for. And uh, I think we're onto something, manifesting rental cars. It's as good a place to start as any, Rich. Okay, now we got to move it up to something more worthwhile in the world. <laughs> that's right. You get grounded in the principle. You, you, that's like the training wheels. You get confident. And then uh, take those training wheels off. I think it works in metaphysics. I really do. Rich Spitcher. Spitcher. Yes. Uh, first of all, we're going to change his name because that doesn't work at all. Rich Spitzer. <laughs> that works better. This gentleman is our honored guest of the hour. He is mathematical and he's metaphysical. He has a scientific mind. He thinks creatively. He manifests very well. And he has an evidence-based formula. In fact, he refers to it, his uh, newest version, it's kind of a reissue of a book that sold very well and helped a lot of people. But this one is even more marketable, in my opinion. It's called The Manifestation Formula. Richard Spitzer is our guest. We want to get back into the principles, and probably there is another story or two to be told there about how you apply this. That's where people get the encouragement, by doing the thing, by practicing it, and then they have results to report. That's exciting. 
So more of Rich Spitzer, more of Manson Mitchell on the other side of a short break. You're tuned in to Seattle's home of alternative. Oh, God, I can't talk. To alternative you. talk. Is a- that what they call it? I better slow down. That third cup of coffee does me in every time. Alternative talk, AM 1150. We'll be right back. The preceding audio was via a Skype call. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to manceandmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Mance and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash manceandmitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal. Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world fame, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is manceandmitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 a.m. or streaming live from your computer anywhere. What do trees make you think of? Life, longevity, health? There's a reason for that. They're the building blocks of our ecosystems, capable of restoring land and environment while creating stable food systems and economic opportunity. At Trees for the Future, for 30 years, we've worked with smallholder farmers in developing countries to establish sustainable agroforestry methods. Where there was once deforestation and poor agricultural practices, There are now thriving microenvironments we call forest gardens, made up of more than 50 species of trees and dozens of shrubs, fruits, and vegetables. Through Trees for the Future's forest garden approach, thousands of farming families have successfully brought their land back to life. A sustainable solution to hunger, poverty, and climate change. Sponsored by Trees for the Future. You're invited to join the movement at trees.org slash radio. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. We're a couple of baby boomers who bring you a talk radio mix of metaphysics and music, politics, and pop culture. And you never know which celebrity will join us for an interesting conversation. Mance and Mitchell is Boomer HQ, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on 1150 AM KKNW. Your home for alternative talk in Seattle and Western Washington. Talk radio with a purpose. Alternative Talk 1150. The Standells, Dirty Water. Now, Suzanne, why would we play that today? Because we're going to see some dirty water tomorrow. That's for darn sure. We're going to get on an aeroplane tomorrow afternoon, and we are flying to Boston. We are. Dirty Water, that song about uh, the Charles River. Yes, his beloved Charles. Interesting factoid, from what I understand, and I haven't verified it with them personally, but supposedly the Standells, Benny, did you know this, Mr. Music? The Standells wrote that song. And never went to Boston. <laughs> Didn't go to Boston, but they yeah. wrote this this anthem, this oh, yeah. love song to the city of Boston and its people and all its charms, and they didn't even go there. So you talk about imagination and yeah. manifestation. That totally. was a big hit for them. Yeah. Tough to market that, too. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it is. Hopefully easy to pronounce. We'll right. see. Uh, we have Richard Spitzer with us. He wrote 
the manifestation formula, which is a reissue of his earlier book, he can talk about that in detail. And yes, it is available on Amazon. Yay. And uh, Rich, if people would like to connect with you, uh, do you, do you have a website and social media? And is there a way that people can um, write to you if they would like to do that? Sure. Uh, I have a website called Mod Metaphysics, M-O-D, metaphysics.com. And then there's a page there for the book and there's a contact form. That's usually the best way. Excellent. And, uh, Excellent. Thank you. I'm curious to know, since we're just finishing up the marketing piece, it was all too brief. I do want to give you an opportunity to expand a little bit here, Rich. In terms of this book and its impact, what kind of mail do you get? Are people saying, oh, this, this, and this happened in a way that is very confirming for you? Um, yes. I mean, the, the, in fact, I got uh, a communication this morning. I've you know, done some things on Quora, the information site, and I, I haven't got so much uh, people giving me their anecdotal stories. It's more a matter of, aha, now I understand it, or now it makes sense. It's like it's almost gone, it's transcended. Oh, great, I, I followed it and I manifested money. It's more a matter of I finally understand what people have been trying to say, and I find that very rewarding because that was my goal, to try and understand what it is we're trying to do, what's the nature of the animal we're, we're working with. I'm very big on explanation, and there's an anecdote, I'll keep it short, but it relates to what's driven a lot of my research and how I applied it. Many, many years ago, I got started in photography, doing my own developing. So I bought all the stuff to develop my film. You get the, the chemicals, you get the reels, and it says, so every book, and I read all the books, go in, this is before the internet, go into a dark room and make sure it's, you know, no lights coming in. Now take your little roll of 35 millimeter film, pull off the end cap, take the film off the, the little capsule and between your thumb and your forefinger, roll it onto the stainless steel reel, making sure the edges don't touch and put it into the solution and close it. So I did that. And of course, when I took it out, all the film was sticking to it. Uh, I, can't, I followed the instructions. I finally found a book that said, before you go into the dark room, take a, piece, take a roll of film you haven't used and practice putting it on the reel. So everybody jumps over some of the fundamentals of how you have to approach these things. And why did 99 authors say, go into a dark room and do something you've never done before? And one person said, before you try something you've never done before, you know, practice it, think about it, understand what you're doing. And that gave me a perspective that has served me well, that you just don't do something. And now I applied that to the what I wrote this book, which was, uh, I, th I think I have three phrases in there. Me, if I want to do something, I have to understand how to do it. And if I have to understand it and use it, I actually have to believe that it will work. And that was one of the principles that many people have taught. And I think I equate belief with positive thoughts. Having a positive thought, you could clinically say, oh, I believe I'm going to achieve that new house. If in the back of your mind you don't really believe it, 
then that's not really a positive thought. That's detracting from it. And many, many books from Abraham Hicks to Wayne Dyer, they've all talked about the same thing. But that's why when I put together my scorecard, you have positive thoughts and you have negative thoughts. Put them into the, this formula, and it'll say, yeah, you think you're getting 65%, 70% positive, but then look at your negatives, and when you adjust it, and the formula is built into it, you're only 50%. And I did that with my own ambitions to write a book. I figured, huh, I'm up there at 70% positive, but I did have some negatives. And when I adjusted it, oh, I'm only like 40% positive because my... I would go back and forth saying, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. It's like, this is never going to happen. So, you know, there's there's a balance between positive and negative. And you have to learn. And if you do nothing else other than keep track of your thoughts, at least the way I lay them out, on um, a scale of how positive to how negative, track them weekly or biweekly, it gives you a new, per, a new perspective. And then I built a chart into there. So, you know, it's in Excel. So if you your thoughts in there, you can see your chart like, you know, are your thoughts progressing positively, negatively, stagnant? So this is what helped me. And I'm just another ordinary person uh, willing to reveal what my concerns are. I suspect most people I've talked with you know, hint at, yeah, there's things they'd like to do, but they can't figure out how to do it or why it's not working. And but we're never, we're never taught these things. There's nothing in any school I've ever gone to, even before the, you know, the deterioration of liberal arts. So, um, and that's why belief to me is critical to, it's almost synonymous with uh, a positive thought. It has to be something you believe, because if you don't believe it, then what's the, what's the opposite, you know? Lack of, lack of belief, and I can't hold those two thoughts simultaneously. I can't be positive and not believe the essence of what I'm trying to be positive about. If you're both positive and negative, then it seems to me you are being neutral. You won't get it. You won't get your goal because you're every time you have the negative thought, you're neutralizing. And as you said earlier, a negative thought is even more powerful. So you have to supercharge your positive thoughts. We haven't talked a whole lot about the scorecard, but I have one in front of me. And so I wanted to have you speak to that a little bit. And there is, it's a fairly simple, it's not a long process. There are seven statements that you look at and, and you assess what has been your own thinking about that particular topic. And when you are working towards something, how often do you do the scorecard? Do you do that like every day when you get up in the morning or when you go to bed at night? Is there is there a time frame that works for filling out the scorecard? Okay. Well, let me work backwards about how often I do it to how I originated it. Uh, when I do it, I do it no I do it no more than once a week and more often once every two weeks. Uh, if you do it more frequently daily, you'll drive yourself crazy. You'll get frustrated. You won't know what you're thinking. You'll try to think about what you were thinking. Uh, you have to let it settle in. So if I do it once a week or once every two weeks, you know, things have calmed down. You know, there are cycles of information that influence us. And 
you know, in all the work I've done, two weeks is a good frame of reference for most anything. Things come, they hit you, you dwell on it, they settle down, it's replaced by something else. So I, I would say for most people, doing it once a week or once every two weeks is, is optimum. Otherwise, it's, it's just too much work. No one, you know, we, we, we can't even do, take my blood pressure pills every day sometimes. So I'm certainly not going to fill out a scorecard. So I'd say once every week, once every two weeks, and I personally spend more of it once every two weeks. Uh, that's just this, human trait. Yeah, the scorecard is not going to take a long time to fill out. What could take some time is just thinking about your thinking. If I did it, let's say, for example, once a week, if I if I pick a day of the week, if I pick a Saturday or a Sunday or someday and then say, how have I been during this last week with regard to my goal? It seems like the only time it would take is in your contemplation of the the seven different statements with regard to your goal, how positive or how negative that you were, how many thoughts were in one direction, how many thoughts in the other. But I would also think, and and I'd like you to kind of clarify this, Rich, if you are only going to the scorecard once a week or once every two weeks, during that period of time where you're not obsessing over the scorecard, it would seem as though those are kind of gestation periods where your your mind, your perspective is working on your goal. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And, you know, you, you, we all have the frame, you know, phrase, you know, knee-jerk reaction. That's why daily doesn't would never work for me. I doubt it would work for anybody because it's like, oh, I have such a terrible day. I'm going to score a terrible Tomorrow, oh, it's a great day. So your results will look crazy. But you're right. There's a gestation period. You have to let things settle in. And uh, But it also ties into the seven points. I try to think through how many ways would I state things. Now, in every research discipline, we're all big on rating scales, 0 to 100, 0 to 10. I, I love you. I hate you. It's my favorite product. I hate the product. So, I mean, that's a well-developed discipline. You know, uh, you, you have to have a... A relatively few number of rating points to be manageable. You want to spend all your time, you know, you know, splitting a hair. So I took some of my goals and said, okay, I know it's got to be three, maybe too few because you know, it doesn't differentiate. Ten is too much. You dwell too much. So I, I kind of wrote out how many different ways would I think about stating my goal. And to your point, I think once you get into it, it goes a lot quicker, but uh, you know, I, I use one example. I wanted to write a book. I could see it being published. Well, when I started out, now that's the goal of many you know, law of attraction principles. Imagine you have already achieved your goal. I could not really honestly, sincerely believe I achieved my goal. But I said, I'm going to write a book, and I'll find a way to get it. Sure. I want to write a book, but I'm okay if I don't. Uh, well... It's sort of true, but I really wanted to. And then, uh, but once I was aware of my general, if you told me, you asked me, how do you feel about writing a book? I said, I want to be a writer. I really do. But I'm not doing anything about it. But once I saw how I was actually thinking about it in some basic math, it's like, you know, I'm not really as 
consistently positive as I thought I was. And once I was aware of that, I had to decide if I want to change it, how do I have to change my thinking? So, but once every week, once every two weeks, like you say, it's a gestation period. You know, uh, I don't want to get too emotional. I mean, everything says, you know, don't you know, send out your positive vibe and let it go out there. Don't keep contradicting yourself. Same right. thing with keeping track. But, you know, we humans, everything we do has a scorecard. We don't know our right. scorecard in school. Yeah. We don't know how the Cubs are doing. We don't know if the plane is on time. We don't know how much our, our food is going to cost. Everybody, even though we talk about we don't like math, yet everybody's obsessed with arithmetic. Give me a number that tells me something about what's going on. So if I can see a progress report, I feel I'm more involved in what I'm doing. When I read a 350-page book on you know, quantum thinking, and it tells me all these things to do which are great, but I don't actually know if I'm doing it. How do I measure my, 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 my progress? And that's one of the great you know, benefits of you know, the digital world. We're getting more and more online learning things, self-scoring assessments. So uh, what I've learned is that people love to see how they do. And many people, when they see they're not doing as well as they expected, are motivated to try and do something to move beyond that. And hopefully what I've done can be sort of a catalyst for, you know, uh, bridging that gap. of I, I thought I was positive. Now I realize I'm not as consistently positive as I thought I was. You had the opportunity, Rich, to realize something. That's the value of what you're explaining, and I've experienced it ad infinitum. Joseph Murphy, I credit him. He was a great metaphysician. He wrote about, I don't know, 60 books or so. He was always, he had a pen in his hand all the time. Yeah. He said that the law of life is the law of belief. Alternatively, the law of belief is the law of life. So, Looking at it from that perspective, whatever you believe becomes true for you, not simply at the conceptual level as an intellectual exercise. It becomes true in terms of what you're manifesting, what you're experiencing. That really stuck with me. And I first ran in about 20 years ago. I started to encounter this type of thinking through Joseph Murphy's books and others coming from the new thought movement. And I was so impressed that even on a bad day when I'm distracted and frustrated, maybe I'm angry at somebody, with all of that going on, I still stop to consider. It's almost like an intruding thought that corrects me and, and, and admonishes me that whatever it is I believe is what's going to show up for me. So why not believe in the good things? And if you don't get exactly what you want, two things are going to happen. Something that approximates it, what you believe, will show up for you on the objective screen of space, as Joseph Murphy would call it, or occasionally whatever it is you believe and hope for is actually exceeded by your actual experience. Sure. And that reminds think, me to keep belief in mind. Exactly. Um, if you keep going further and further back into this whole concept, one thing that is still the big metaphysical question is, okay, however humans came into being, why weren't we, uh, why don't we have that ability to just function the way you just described, that we do things, we believe, we get them done. 
I mean, an acorn doesn't sit there and say, you know, am I going to be an oak tree or, or is it possible I'll wind up being an apple, <laughs> an apple tree? Yeah. A squirrel doesn't yes. say, you know. So everything else we can observe seems to have a very uh, uh, well-defined sense of purpose of what it does. So humans, whether you believe in a you know an intelligent you know, super being or true evolution, regardless, why were we created without the ability to follow through our beliefs, or why did we evolve without that being part of our uh, instinct? We have part of it. We're sitting here discussing it, but why wasn't that more of our nature? Why has it become so much of a challenge? And uh, we'll never know. That's the way we are. But the wonder of it is, we can wonder about it. Yes, we are. We are the creature that thinks and thinks about our thinking. That's miraculous in its way. Exactly. I would also think with the scorecard, you would get a sense of trends, and I would also guess um, that you that things would get easier at the more often that you do them. Um, we have uh, we do we score how hungry we are almost every day in the late afternoon when I'll say to Gary, what's your hunger number? It's always on a scale of one to ten. So he'll say six or seven or nine. I'm ready to eat early, you know, and so we we can base how, where we are food wise just by scoring it in that way, which I thought was kind of funny based on your your scorecard. We're on a one to ten for our hunger. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's an easy way. It becomes more of a game. It's more engaging. You can remember it. Uh, you know you have a common point of reference. Right. And, uh, and you know, most people, they do want to make progress. I mean, right. you know, I, I did some work with some doctors a few years ago using a similar approach to patient compliance. And we came up we're with in our, six... We're in our last minute, Rich. Okay. So people want to know... People have things they want to manifest. They want to have a way of doing it that they can manage themselves. And what I've tried to do is say, here's a, a simple process that you already know how to do. You just need a little helping hand to explain it, guide you, and help you keep track of your progress. The man's name is Richard Spitzer. He's a wonderful author and even better thinker. When he gets this stuff down to Shakespearean level and language, I mean, he's just going to have to disappear. This is really fantastic stuff. And don't go away, Richard, because we want round three with Richard. That's got to come up sometime soon. His book is called The Manifestation Formula. You can find it on Amazon and wherever fine books are sold. Thank you, Richard. Thank it was you. great having you with us today. Thank you for having me back. I really enjoyed talking with you. Okay. We'll do it again. Meanwhile... Meanwhile, stay tuned for the Christine Upchurch Show, followed by the Susan Harmon Experience, and after that, American Road Trip Talk with guest host Gary Mance. Well done. Stay tuned to Alternative Talk AM 1150, wherever you can, whenever you can. It's Seattle's home of Alternative Talk. The preceding audio was via a Skype call.